through to Madrid to the Champions League final. Leicester's very own fantastic Mr. Fox. Everybody and welcome back to Slapcast. This is not our normal program. This is actually a bit of a Slapcast special. So today I'm joined by Reese. Hello, Reese. Hello. And we are delighted to have on Chris. Chris, how you doing, mate? I am good. I'm good, Gage. Uh, long time of um, sort of semi knowing you and first time speaking to you. So uh, yeah, happy to be here. Yeah, it's it's been quite a while since uh, since the Football Hipsters podcast. Uh, which is Too where long. I first um, made your acquaintance, I suppose. So, uh, would you would you mind giving just a quick rundown of all the things you're involved in and, and what you're doing? Yeah, sure. So, um, I'm I'm part of the uh, podcast team that that produce a podcast Wonderland, which is an Arsenal podcast. Um, we record a live show after every every Arsenal game on on YouTube. Um, well, it goes to YouTube and also on various different platforms. And um, we do a podcast once a week. And occasionally we do some specials. Um, been with them for a number of years now. Um, as you mentioned, formerly created the Football Hipsters podcast, which unfortunately um, is no more just just due to time restraints and getting people in in order sort of to have the time to do it. But such is life. And uh, and I'm also now the host of French Football Weekly, which is another. As, as the title would suggest, weekly podcast about French football. Um, we record every week, just sort of running down the weekend's action and talking everything French football. So, um, yeah, just a, a general football enthusiast and, and podcaster. Yeah, very good. You'll fit in. You'll fit in just fine around here then, because uh, I think we pretty much share that description. So, okay, I think we are going to be doing a bit of an Arsenal special uh obviously as Reese and Chris are both Arsenal supporters um and then we're going to talk a little bit about soccer in the U.S. and um how that's kind of evolving and, and what that looks like so and the problems that some of us and by some of us I mean me have with that so uh let's get cracking with some Arsenal stuff so Reese, I know you've got all sorts planned so what have you got for us yeah I figured we'd start off and just talk about our general thoughts about Arsenal's season so far and uh, within that, our first impressions on, our, on Arteta. So I'll, I'll, I'm interested to hear your thoughts on that, Chris, first. Yeah, sure. Um, I, I've, I've been quite impressed, um, quietly impressed, really, with, with Arteta. It's, it's, been, um, it's been a strange season. Um, I'm old enough to remember the last season of George Graham's era, which was 94-95, and... Um, it ended with Arsenal finishing, I believe it was 12th in the old days where the Premier League was 24 teams. Um, it was a really sort of sorry state of affairs. The squad was was as bad as, as I've ever remembered it. And uh, it, it feels a little bit like that kind of season, really. Um, we went in positively. I was uh, I was sort of, I've always, I'm always uh, more of a positive fan. And I've always looked at the likes of sort of when we took in IM Renault. There's a lot of people that weren't sure about his appointment. I was one of those people that, that thought it, it could work out and it, it could potentially work quite well. Um, first season, obviously, not too bad. And then things just deteriorated. And I think there was a there's a lot at play that, that um, eventually brought about the end of Emery. And, and I think some of that's to do with 
things beyond his control um it's certainly behind the scenes but once that was sort of uh, it was like the the elephant in the room would he stay would he get sacked and obviously when he went we had freddie lundberg in who, who's um to this day my favorite arsenal player um, so i really wanted it to work out for him and, and i think he did a good job stabilizing the ship sort of giving some players that have been on the fringes of the squad an opportunity to come back in some of the younger players that we're seeing in the squad now um but ultimately i think the only thing that, that sort of cost freddie was again lack of backing from above or lack of decision making from above and just inexperience i think he will make a very good manager at, at some point um down the line but at this stage we needed somebody with that little bit more experience um and arteta came in and people would also say that has he got experience but working under pep guardiola uh, um you know i have my reservations about about the the cult of pep as i call it but uh you know he is he is clearly one of the best managers in the world um certainly a revolutionary manager in, in how he sets his teams up or has set his teams up in the past and arteta's been front and center behind that and not just that all the knowledge he would have taken on board of scouting um training methods uh, how to conduct himself around the players all those little things would be hugely beneficial so so far so good um i think we'll get a better understanding of what he is going to bring to arsenal probably later on down the line sort of over the summer i think it'll be interesting to see what he what he takes on to pre-season next year so i'm not really holding out too much hope for the rest of the season but we're still in two cup competitions one that could lead to champions league qualification if if things went our way um and as for the league it's just a question of try and finish as high as we can um, and build build for the future at this stage. So, so far, so good. Yeah, obviously, I haven't been following for quite as long as you. Uh, <laughs> I think it's been five seasons now that I've been, like, uh, really, really following Arsenal. And uh, you mentioned that you had seen them finish uh, 12th in the past, and it's very reminiscent of that. Uh, for me, I, I think the lowest... I've seen was uh, two seasons ago, and we got sixth. So it's yeah. really been tough, <laughs> if I'm if I'm honest. But because uh, I've actually, I think beside one season, which was uh, last season, it's been uh, Arsenal have finished in a worse position each season that I've been watching. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so Arteta, seeing Arteta's uh, just instant impact. It's really exciting to me. I was, I was actually, Arteta was my first pick whenever we were bringing in a manager and brought in Emery. I just, I just had a feeling it could work. Uh, I thought what we needed was definitely someone who knew the club's values because moving on from, uh, our, excuse me, Arsene Wenger, we uh, really needed someone that understood his philosophy, but also was uh, understood the the new way that football is evolving and i thought that arteta could could bring that and i think i think we're seeing that in his early stages and i'm i'm very happy i'm hoping it's not a fluke and it's not the like honeymoon period but uh yeah like you said i definitely think we just need to back him um see let him do his thing um the season is basically done in that respect however high he gets us is is fine and we just need to try and implement his policies uh, regroup for the next season. Yeah, and, and I think as you as you pointed out there, the honeymoon period. I think if anything, the the fact that the we've had quite a few draws and we've had a few had a few performances that would raise an eyebrow. I think I, I think somebody 
um, I think I believe it was James from from Gunnerblog was saying, could you imagine of uh, what what the fans' reaction would have been had we have performed like we did um, in our last game under Unai Emery, for example? Um, had we played against Burnley the way we did, you know, the fans would have been up in arms. But because Arteta is clearly sort of being given time, nobody sort of really really had a, an issue with it, and I, I think that's kind of important. Um, I, th- I think the the honeymoon period. I think if Arteta had just come in and uh, scored one five or six games on the spin, I think we would all, as is the way with uh, with our, our fan base and, and probably a few other fan bases of other clubs, would have got way over the top and you know proclaimed that we're going to be the new sort of footballing sensation of world football. Um, so I think in a way we've got sort of tempered ambitions with with how the start has has, has begun. Um, and I think that's I think that actually will benefit us in the long run. And I'm quite intrigued to see how this uh, Dubai training camp is. Um, I think it will do the players good as well. They're all the way together. They're still training. So it will be interesting. We've got some big fixtures coming up. So, um, yeah, and, and I do wonder if, uh, if if we might even give Liverpool a game when, when they come to the Emirates um, later on this season. That will be an interesting benchmark to yeah. see just how far we Yeah, I uh... – oh, you go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, as, as someone looking in from the outside, if I take my Spurs hat off for a minute, um, I quietly am envious of, of a club going to appoint a more progressive manager in transition, obviously because Spurs and Arsenal are both clubs right now that are in periods of transition. And I'm a little bit envious that uh, Arsenal went out and got a young manager. Obviously, he's unproven, but he's bringing these new progressive ideas to football and and we went and got possibly the most regressive manager uh in all in all of football so as someone who looks who looks uh in uh, inward from the outside sorry i can't speak at the moment um (laughs) who looks inward from the outside i'm envious especially because of like reese said the instant impact that arteta's had and he's been able to bring some good stuff, I think. I, I've been quietly impressed with the performances and especially getting work rates out of players that previously we would have thought um, wanted to leave the club, you know, the likes of Granichaka and uh, Mesodozel and et cetera. So, yeah, go ahead, Reese. Yeah, so uh, you kind of mentioned this by saying we just need to uh, kind of see how high he can get us in the league and the position doesn't really matter. But I think a lot of fans... Uh, they forget, me included. I sometimes forget about it when I'm when I'm thinking about the league. Is that we are still in the Europa League, and so uh, we do have that to to try and get into uh, Champions League next season. Yeah, and I think Chris, would you prefer that the route Arsenal take is to put all their eggs in the Europa League basket, or do you think top four is not gone? Because I actually think top four may not be off for Arsenal as of yet. Um, yeah. I'm really, I'm really tall on this. We we were t- we talked about this on on ABW the, the other day, and and I'm really tall on it. I, I think, I think a lot will depend on on the Europa draws. Um, you know, if, if we draw one of the big guns, and there are a few big teams that have dropped into it now, um, then I think we have to be a little bit careful that we don't just throw the league away because you know one bad result next to good side, and you know you're out. I think as long as you're continuing to draw clubs that you can arguably put out. Uh, a strong but not necessarily full strength side against. I mean, Olympiacos, for example, you know, um, when they came to, to London to play Spurs, you know, they're not a side that can be taken for granted. No, certainly but not. But at the same time, yeah, but at the same time, they are they are a side that you, you would expect on any given day, you know, you should be looking to get a result over. So it's it's a bit of a tough one in that regard. I think for the league, I, I tend to agree with 
I don't think it's gone and whether that's just the the optimist in me speaking probably but it's a really difficult one with the league because there's just there's so many clubs up there that I wouldn't say shouldn't be up there that's wrong but but you wouldn't expect to be up there and and I I feel like I feel like this Arsenal team is is getting closer to putting a run together um and the, the Premier League almost reminds me of the championship this year in that there's so many teams that can beat each other and it feels like if if any team puts together a run of three to four to five wins they can shoot up the table in no time and I look at so Chelsea's inconsistent form obviously Spurs are still in that Mourinho transition at the moment although you know that said I think I think they are starting to to come good um pains me to say but um and, and, and I, I look at, I look at other, <laughs> no, I mean it, you know it's, it's it's only fair to be honest but yeah. I, I look at I look at the other clubs that, that sort of above us and, and you know they're above us on merit because we haven't had a good season that's that you can't get away from that fact but um Leicester for me are inconsistent at the moment as well yes they've got a very good squad but you know they they're one of those teams that sometimes they look brilliant and other times you think how are they up there um Sheffield United Man United Wolves obviously still in the Europa League as well I, I do still think it's it's a fairly open open market and Chelsea 41 points down to Southampton in 13th on 31 points 10 points sounds a lot but three wins and other teams dropping a few points and you're right back in it so I tend to be sort of with you on that one what we need what we need to do um you know from an Arsenal perspective is turn these draws into wins uh four straight draws you put um two more wins in instead of draws you've got an extra four points um and suddenly we're sat on 35 points and in seventh and closer to that top four so that's going to be the the key thing when, when we get back into action after this it's interesting that you bring that up about Leicester uh because well our friend our friend Josh who is also a regular on the podcast he's a Leicester fan and he hasn't really brought up this concern but uh, recently Gage and I have been mentioning that Leicester among other teams seem like they may just be overperforming and that if they make one or one or two mistakes they could see some kind of downward spiral and I think that's kind of been happening recently they've definitely looked very shaky as you mentioned but I I think this the same could be said for some of the teams around them so I definitely would agree that uh, if we can start turning draws into wins and find some sort of consistent winning form not just consistent drawing form that we could uh, see ourselves climb up the table a little bit but uh, that does also rely on the other teams falling so so it's a tough gamble yeah that's that's the thing and with Leicester I mean don't get me wrong they're impressive they've been playing very very well I'm not not denying that but I, I just think there's an element of I remember when everybody everybody was um, lauding Brendan Rodgers, you know, how did Arsenal go for him? He's this, he's that. You know, he's, he's a very good manager, but I also think that he's he's one of those managers that rides across of a wave, and when things go against him, I don't always think he has the best plan B. Um, and it's been noticeable that Leicester, when Vardy's four drops, they're not quite the same potent. Um, and I, I feel like their first team squad is brilliant um when it's on song but you take one or two of those high performing players out and i'm not so convinced it's as deep a squad as it looks on paper so yeah they, they've been impressive um and I, I do think they probably will end up in that top four i think maybe comparing them to the uh to the team that won the titles is a bit rich at the moment i, th- I, th- I think they've got quite a way to go before that before that becomes uh 
sort of reality for them. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think the the thing with Lester is I, I've always felt, and I've said this since the start of the season, I think they're two, one or two key injuries away from plummeting down the table. Um, because mm-hmm. you take someone like Madison or, or Vardy or even Suyin Chu out of that side and, and they're immediately that much worse. Um, yeah, I think, yeah, agreed. like you say, they probably will end up in the top four just because they have such a cushion down to Spurs. They have a 12-point cushion on Spurs, and uh, I don't think anyone's betting the house on Spurs putting together, a, or any of the other teams below for that matter, putting together a consistent string of results uh, in order to catch them. But, yeah, like you, like you mentioned, the... The only thing it would take is a string of three or four wins because of all these clubs dropping points so many so many times throughout the season that all it would take would, would be that and you'd end up in fourth or fifth and in and around it for sure. I think Sheffield United are a, a team that interests me because I think they, they obviously have taken the Premier League by storm a little bit and uh, Chris Wilder is getting all sorts of plaudits, um, overlapping center backs and all, which I think is probably a little bit overhyped. Um, but... Yeah, certainly they, they deserve to be where they are, but I think clubs are going to start to figure them out a little bit in the second half of the season, and I do think they'll fall away. Um, and Wolves probably, it's just a thin squad, isn't it? I mean, they, again, like Lester, are one or two injuries away, or, you know, Raul Jimenez recently has looked extremely tired. Um, and so the likes of them will probably fall away. And Man United, uh, for me, as long as Solskjaer's in charge, they're going absolutely nowhere. Um, so... <laughs> Yeah, I, I actually, a few weeks ago, we made our top four predictions, and I, I still actually think Arsenal have the best chance out of all of those teams to end up in fourth ahead of, well, aside from Chelsea, who are obviously there currently. But hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, it's interesting. I I, I do agree on, on, I think, Sheffield United, yeah, absolutely props, you know, thoroughly deserve to be where they are, but they do just strike me as a side that, that eventually, as you say, they've been the unknown. Uh, there's been many teams that have done this sort of thing for a season and then uh, dropped away. Um, and I, I do, th- I think it probably might be more like next season. But yeah, I think I think they will get. Teams will eventually work out how to get behind them. Um, Wolves, I think, as much as anything, fatigue is what may catch up with them. They, they played was it 40 odd games already with the yeah, Europa League. Ridiculous. Um, yeah, and again, um, similarly with Leicester and Vardy, I just think with Wolves, if if Jimenez is not scoring, don't get wrong, likes of, of Jota and the, the young lad from they got from last year, his name escapes me. Um, Neto. That's the one. They they look a threat and, and they're good players, but I wouldn't say they've got the, the finishing acumen of a, of a Jimenez who is just deadly in front of goal. So again, any sort of injury or fatigue or loss of form for him and and, and that's a worry. And, and I think in a way also you could put that, that argument the other way with Arsenal in, in I think Lacazette is getting a lot of stick at the moment. Um, as our sort of our, our forward output, if that clicks and things change there, we're a different side. So it's there's a lot of ifs, buts, and maybes. But yeah, to say it's done, I think is a bit premature in February, definitely. Yeah. All right. Uh, moving on to another little bullet point. I'm actually very interested to hear what you have to say on this, and it kind of goes in hand with what you just finished talking about. Uh, there's a few players this season that have had a little bit of a controversial uh, rap within the Arsenal fans. And I mm. was interested to hear where you stood on that. So uh, the likes of Ozil, Xhaka, uh, even recently uh, Lacazette because of his goal drought. 
Uh, and then honestly, Mustafi, because obviously a lot of fans think he's done. However, under Arteta, he has looked pretty good. He had that mistake, uh, that really big mistake in the Chelsea match. But even after that, had a great game. And the games following had great games. So I was interested to hear what you thought of these players and what you thought the uh, the approach to these players should be. Yeah, yeah. It, it's an interesting... I think I, I'm definitely... If you start with Shaka, for example. Um, I think think that he's he's come back from what went on very well and he's put in some very good performances my concern with him is that that it should never have got to that point in the first place um i felt he was i felt he was out of order in how he behaved i felt he was um i felt his his sort of overall um demeanor at that period of time was not good and it was clear that he was happy to move on from the club and i felt we missed an opportunity to move him on but that said he's part of the squad at the moment and he has come back and and he's done what what any professional should do um you know he's, he's tried to put in better performances and overall he has put in better performances so i can't knock him for that that said i would still happily sell him if, if the right bid came in because i personally think that even when we bought him i didn't think he was a good fit then i don't think he's a good fit now i think he's very limited in terms of mobility and, and I, th I think his game is, is well suited for certain leagues the premier league for me is not that league um i think obviously has the Benin were interested i think he would be as he proved in, in gladbach the bundesliga was, was a good fit for him so I, I wouldn't be sorry to see him go but that's not me saying he's you know he's not a terrible footballer obviously but i don't think he's the level we need and, and i would rather we have a ball carrying physical presence in mid field rather than a, a player who's very limited that's that's personally what i would prefer um lacazette i think people have got short memories he was a player he was our player of the year last season he's clearly a player who's struggling for confidence i think this break will do him good um by all accounts from people in the club you hear that he's he's training well his attitude's good you know, his work rate is it can never be faulted but as the old adage goes with the likes of the days of Emil Heskey you know if you're a striker you're expected to score goals not just create them so you know um I'm not above criticism not above criticizing our players but I do think some of our fans who are just saying oh we'll sell him in the summer and that's it I think I've got very short memories and everybody that says that has never can never give me a straight answer or name as to who they would bring in and for how much because you know that's ultimately what you've got to think about yeah um and then as for Mustafi, as you say, probably the other the other one that has caused a bit of controversy. Um, yeah, I, I mean, uh, I, I don't think he's a great defender. I don't. Um, I do think we overpaid at a time when we needed a defender. And, and we probably got that again. It could have gone one or two ways. Again, I like his I like his fight. I like his desire to come back from adversity. I like the fact that he doesn't give up. I like the fact that managers have given him opportunities. My concern with him is that no matter how well he defends, and he can defend brilliantly for 89 minutes, you always know there is one moment, um, see Chelsea, that um, that he's just going to go walk about or his mind's going to go walk about or he's going to make an error. And I don't think it's, I mean, obviously it's his fault, he, it is him, but I don't think it, it's uh, an ability thing. I think it's just a concentration thing. Um, and I just, I just feel that, it would be better for both parties, maybe for a fresh start in the summer. Um, but I'm, that said, I'm quite glad he stuck around in January because we are short of numbers. It will be interesting to see how much um, Pablo Mari gets in terms of game time now that he's coming to the club. Um, Arteta clearly isn't, he doesn't fancy Socrates at the moment, but he is a fan of David Luiz. 
holding is still coming back to you know what could be conceived of as better form or finding form i guess so yeah i i think again mustafi much like Xhaka, um if, if, if a decent offer comes in by by decent we're never going to get what we paid for but if, if if the right opportunity comes along in the summer um you know i i think it might be better for both player and club to move him on um but yeah fair, fair play to the guy he's taken a sorry stick um you know on social media and and from the fans which i, I don't like to see i mean it's just no need for it so fair play to him back and fair play to him for, for sticking around um, and i hope he has a good season and obviously as long as he's with us, I, I want i want him to to do well yeah i i agree I think 100% with what you were saying. I, I, I think I would qualify myself also as a very optimistic fan. And so whenever these players like Lacazette go through a, a, a patch of uh, rough form, I, I usually back the player. Uh, with Jaka, I have been saying the same thing as you. I definitely think uh, he has good qualities, but he doesn't have all of the qualities we need. And I think I, I used to be very pro Jaka because he, he's always been... Um, getting a lot of a lot of stick from the fans um and i for a while i was very i was very pro jock but i think when i started to realize that he really doesn't have all of the qualities we need in a midfielder like that desire to drive forward and that ability to drive forward as well um some of that pace as well even just a little bit he's very slow was when ginduzi went into the side i definitely don't think ginduzi's the answer because he's still very young but He's very sim. He's a very similar player. He has similar ball playing capabilities, but he also has that fight in him. He has that drive to 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 make forward runs as well. Um, he has that similar um, knack for tactical fouls. Uh, so I, yeah, when he when he started playing, I really realized that that's the player we've been missing. Just a little bit more experience. So I I think we would agree that. Uh, in the summer, it'd be time to look for um, a Jaka replacement. Um, yeah, and with Mustafi, I totally agree. I think he was good when we got him, but uh, I think we just didn't see the signs. Um, the The results masked the actual performances, and then as it went on, uh, he proved himself to be more mistake-prone. So yeah. I'm very happy with the Pablo Mari signing. Yeah, I, yeah. I definitely think he's going to... I hope he goes into the starting lineup because I think he would be... Obviously, I've never watched him play because I don't follow the Brazilian league. But with that said, uh, I trust the, the scouting. I'm excited that he's left-footed because I mentioned um, when we signed him on the podcast that he's the first left-footed center back we've signed since Vermeulen. Yep. Uh and I, I think he is very much an Arteta player by the looks of his uh, abilities. Yeah, and he was formerly on the books of Man City, I think, um, a number of years ago. So, yeah, I think any player that, that gets the, the Tim Vickery approval is good enough for me. Um, he I've followed his work for years. Um, he knows his Brazilian football, absolutely all Brazilian football. Um, like you, I haven't seen much of, of Murray. And sometimes these sort of signings are the ones you know, um, I'm a great believer that you don't always need to spend 50, 60, 70 million to find a quality player. Sometimes it's about the fit and the style of a club. Uh, you know, who would have thought that Fernandinho would 
as, as crucial to Manchester City's uh, success as he was. You know, everyone would have known Aguero would have been, for example, but Fernandinho has quietly been one of their most impressive players for, for years. Um, I think the same could be said if you go go all the way back to the likes of Park Ji Sung at Man United when they were, um, you know, sort of the best club in, 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 in Europe at the time. Sir Alex Ferguson were picking for every big game. And I don't think anyone would have, would have foreseen that at the time he was signed. So sometimes it is just about the right player at the right time at the right club. And, and you, like you say, you've got to trust your scouts and, and, and uh, give that player a chance to flourish. I'm hopeful that it will, it, will, it will end up quite well for him. Yeah, I think for Mustafi, for me, a lot of people forget that only, what was it, six years ago, he was a World Cup winner. So mm. he certainly does not lack experience in that department. And, and I don't think he's been quite as bad as everyone has given given him um, flack for, obviously. Um, yeah, so center back has long been an area that Arsenal have, have targeted for investment and, and some of the projects have not exactly panned out, but Pablo Murray will be an exciting one to watch. I've long been, just to, to give my kind of input on, on Xhaka, I've long been one of Xhaka's biggest critics uh, since he came into the league. Obviously, I like to poke fun at him, um, but I just think he lacks a lot of that creativity that perhaps you'd look for in a deep-lying uh, midfielder and Obviously, uh, I think it's been mentioned a few times, he lacks that mobility that you need uh, in the Premier League. And so, yeah, he's probably better suited to somewhere like Serie A, uh, where the game is slower and and he has more time oh. on the ball. So, Ironically, if Tanguy and Dombele had gone to Arsenal and Jack had gone to Spurs under Mourinho, you probably would see two very, very different players yeah, right now. Yeah, indeed. Because Jack, Jack is very much a Mourinho type of player. Um, and, and then Dombele is very much a player that... I felt we should have been looking at prior to his move. So, yeah, funny how ships in the night pass. It is. All right. Uh, I, I guess I'll ask the, the big one now. Uh, Gage asked me this question uh, one or two podcasts ago, and it really caught me off guard because I, I hadn't given it much thought, to be honest. But he asked me, in terms of this, this massive rebuild that needs to be done, would do you think the club should be willing to sell one of Laka or Abba in the summer because they could fund uh, a couple of very good uh, signings in the summer? And it's something I hadn't really thought about, but it I, I'm super yeah. I I guess I'll give you my answer first. I don't want to put you on the spot. I I said that if the bid came in for one of them, I think I would prefer. Aubameyang, despite how crucial he's been, just because I think Lacazette has more to offer. But I also think we would get more money out of Aubameyang. I think we could potentially look at accepting it. It is really tough because he's so integral to our season. Um, you look at away goal scored, he scored so like nine of our 13 or something like that. Um, he is just so important to the team. However, I think with the money he would bring in, it could be something to look at because uh, the, the, you could see, I don't even, like four or five, maybe even six signings with that money. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I tend to agree. I think, I think the, the way I look at it, if it's about money, um, then I wouldn't sell either because the, uh, as much as, I mean, I don't, I don't have a, a say sort of you know I don't have people inside the club so to speak but I know people that that know people if you will that, that are very well informed in these 
these matters. Arsenal are not a club that is short of money. Um, can we go out and spend the Man City, the Man United t- amounts of money? No, no, that's that's clear. But we're not we're not a club that, as we proved last year with Pepe, we're not a club that if the right player comes along, we can't structure the deal accordingly to make the right signing. So even if it was a player who would cost 50, 60, 70 million pounds, we could, we could get that deal done um, by moving on a few fringe players and structuring the deal accordingly. So I think if it's a money thing, no, I'd keep both. That said, if it's about a structure thing and if it's about um, changing the way we play, then possibly I'd consider one of the two. Um, as a man who adores Alex Lacazette, I probably would be a bit biased. But yeah, I, I think Bamiang represents quite his age at the moment. Um, whereas Lacazette obviously represents value in terms of any club signing we're going to get for a number of years. So that's a bit of a tough one. Um, what is the valuation? You've got to think about Lacazette's form at the moment as well, which, you know, that his, his form is, is not great right now. So his value is decreasing, whereas Bamiang's the other way. Um, and I think also you have to look at the buying club. If they know that you're in the market to sell somebody, then they're, they're going to pay a lot less. Um, just to touch on the other sort of elephant in the room, which briefly mentioned earlier on, the Ozil situation as well, that has to be addressed. Um, I think Arsenal have the opportunity to play with two centre-forwards or uh, a formation that incorporates two centre-forwards if Meza Ozil is not in that starting lineup. And that's not me... Uh, slagging Meza off. It's not me saying he's not this, he's not that. I just think the game has moved from Meza's style of play. And and I again, much like the Mustafi situation, I think a change would do both him and the club good. Now, whether he'd be willing to move on with the money he's on, whether we could move him on, I don't know. But if he wasn't in the starting lineup, I think you could you could garner either a four four two or a variation of a four two or four four two where you could incorporate both the players with having to force um, Aubameyang wide. But as I said on our pod the other night, I'm a great believer that the modern day football, or modern day football, I should say, is not necessarily about 442, 4231, 451, whatever. Teams nowadays are fluent. The forward lines in particular are fluent. You know, yes, you set up on Sky Sports with a, a formation in mind, but Ultimately, your striker will drift wide sometimes, your wingers will cut inside sometimes, your fullbacks will bomb on and sit back. It's, I think that's a bit of a red herring. So a long, long-winded answer, but I think I would be open to selling either or, but only if it suited the club and the club's plans um, sort of more long-term and how we're looking to change the club long-term. I wouldn't just sell them just for the sake of getting money in. Yeah, I think that... That definitely makes sense, especially with just structurally, like you said, if if uh, we were looking to maybe play with two wingers instead, play, I don't know, change the formation in some way. Mm-hmm. I, I'm very happy that you mentioned fluid formations. It's kind of a running joke on here that uh, Gage, Gage called me the master of shapes the other day because I am just so intrigued by fluid formations in particular. And I've yeah. uh, we've kind of been playing with one um, in terms of the wingbacks, the wingbacks have been very, um, I don't know, they've they have definitely played to their strengths, especially with Sokka being in and also being a winger. Mm. Um, but yeah, I, I couldn't agree more with that. Yeah, yeah, I think it's, I think it's that, I think it's something only that are, I can't put this delicately, intelligent football fans i think see it 
think your uh, I think your standard. I only watch match of the day every week. Don't see it. Speaking of match of the day, wow! Christian Bentekis just scored a goal. Everybody, stop the press! Has he? Oh my gosh! I, I predicted yeah. that. Gage, you did, you did. To be fair, well, last then. podcast I said I'm going to make a bold prediction. Benteke is going to score. It has to be said though, Jordan Jordan Pickford has literally thrown it in the net. So, um, hilarious. He heard but, my prediction. Yeah, I um. <laughs> <laughs> I, th- I just, I just think that, yeah, you get, you get two types of football fans. You get those who are fully invested, you know, are very well versed on the game and understand tactics and and formations and styles, and then you get John down the pub who watches much of the day once a week and thinks he knows it all. So, um, yeah, I think, I think without being too snobby, that's kind of how I see it in that regard. All right. Yeah. I think Reese, unless you've got anything else, that just about wraps up the Arsenal discussion. Yeah. Yeah. All right, we are going to take a quick break, and then we will be right back. And we're back, and we're now going to move on to our uh, discussion of of football or soccer in America, and uh, particularly the MLS. Is uh, Chris is an avid watcher and and learner of the MLS, and uh, well, obviously the U.S. Federation and the national team are going to be integrated into that topic as well. So, um. Chris, I, I'm particularly intrigued as an American who watches uh, European football. What exactly drew you to the MLS? Because Reese and I have long, well, particularly me, have long been critical of it. Um, so what drew you to the MLS and what continues to hold your attention there? Um, good question. Two things, really. Uh, one was USA, USA 94, um, which was the first World Cup I remember um, as a, a young lad, I, I was 11, I think, at the time. I was a bit of a late comer to football. I, I supported Arsenal and, and grew up in, in the Arsenal sort of area of North London um, when I was very young. But I, I wasn't really a huge, like, avid follower until I got to kind of my my double digits of, of age. So um, I remember watching USA 94, Diana Ross and all that. And, um, and and there were so many iconic moments of that World Cup that I just remember vividly. Uh, Georgie had sort of cross come free kick, uh, cross come shot that flew in the top corner. Um, that that great Bulgarian side with Lechkov and Stoichkov and Ivanov. Um, the Jurgen Klinsmann uh, sort of avid celebration. The Nigerian side, uh, including Daniel Amakachi, and uh, and of course, who can forget Diego Maradona? Slightly. Uh, <laughs> slightly um interesting celebration when he was clearly on another planet at the time so uh, <laughs> and then and then of course roberto baggio's heartbreaking miss in the final and uh and i was following sweden in that particular um tournament and um just because i had a sort of a bit of a thing for the swedish uh, football at the time and and they got quite far i think they finished third in the end winning the third fourth place playoff i think they beat russia in, in that in that game so that was what drew me to kind of um how it was done in america i was i was intrigued i was fascinated to how how american sports would embrace what was sort of soccer to them and and how how the american public would take to it so that's kind of my first exposure to it and then i started you started to get a bit more coverage of when mls started to become a bit more of a thing which was a number of years later a lot lot probably a good 10 years later but you you started to get the feel that the american people were starting to get invested with the idea of of watching football over, over there and and growing the game um and i'm always intrigued by that and i i'd followed chicago fire for a, a period of time when when freddie lundberg went over there ironically 
and um and that kind of got me uh, i've always been quite a fan of as probably we've mentioned on the hips as part of following obscure leagues obscure teams um and chicago somewhere i've always wanted to visit so i started following them and then we started to get the coverage over here on sky sports and and in recent in recent years and i say recent years we're talking the last i don't know three to four years probably maybe a bit longer actually sky sports have been showing mls in the uk and and it has been growing and and i know that there's still those people that thumb the nose at it oh you know they're, they're great yeah pk and all this and yes there is a little bit of, <laughs> of that in um in the coverage and, and yes there are still some commentators that are not the best and uh, you know and there are some interesting um calls made by officials and whatnot and, and goalkeeping sometimes can be a bit suspect but you know i'm not snobbish enough to think that that that's the be all and end all some of the some of the mls games have been absolutely fantastic the the la does um i'm always quite it's always good to see the atmospheres at grounds portland timbers is one that, that comes to mind um, I like the quirkiness of, of certain things um, about how, how MLS is done and how they've... If you look at like VAR, for example, MLS firstly properly and get it right, um, which I don't think they've got anyone near enough credit for. Um, it's a bit so, of an American concept, yeah. that, isn't it? The whole video yeah. review type thing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but, but, I think, but I think that on the whole, they've got it right and they've done it well. Um, so I... Yeah, it, it's intriguing to me. I'm, I'm quite excited for the for the upcoming season. Um, Fire have obviously gone through quite a rebuild and, and a change of brand and colour, and yeah, not uh, not that all the natives are particularly happy with it. But uh, yeah, I'm I'm intrigued to see how they get on under new coaching and new setup. Um, and and it, it promises to be an exciting season. That new, new franchises every year. Um, see David Beckham's into Miami coming in as well is going to be intriguing. So it's yeah, I I, I do think it's set up to be a league that, that can grow um and the fact that it's not just a retirement home for players now is is important and that there are players who sure it's not a, a league that, that big time players are going to by choice but it is starting to get to that stage where players who are not just past it are actually going over there and, and enjoying the league and, and making a difference for the league so yeah i i'm i'm intrigued to see where things go and, and definitely looking forward to the the upcoming season as well yeah, so we we missed out on the the US ninety four experience because to give you some context, that was six seven years before we were born. Um, oh, so not, <laughs> not to not to make you feel too old, but yeah. So <laughs> we obviously significantly missed out on that. Um, I guess. Well, okay. Uh, we actually went to a, a, a an FC Dallas fixture. When when was that, Reese? Last summer. Yeah. Um, FC Dallas hosted um, Toronto FC. And FC Dallas, the stadium's about an hour from from where we're at. So, yeah, we we went to that game, and it was a very enjoyable experience. I think, for, from my point of view, the thing that bothers me the most about the MLS, and I'm a bit of a, well, hypocrite, I guess, if you can call it that, um, because I sort of, like you said, I guess, turn my nose up a little bit at American soccer and American analysis, which is ironic coming from someone who's doing analysis of soccer as an American. Um, but... I sort of just, like you said, the whole, yeah, it's a PK, you know, that kind of thing. The American sports culture around it, just, I, that's one of the things that attracted me to English football in particular is, is how much more, um, <laughs> distinguished. I don't know. That's not exactly the word I'm looking for, but 
I don't know. I guess I just dislike the American sports atmosphere as someone who's in it, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and a lot of my problems coming from it have been structural. So why we decided to do the March to November season um, still baffles me. I, I realize yeah. that it's a bit for ratings, obviously, because the other major American sports, aside from baseball, don't go during the summer. And so, you you know, you have more of an opportunity for people to watch and grow the game. I just think it doesn't make sense for a team or for a league in the Northern Hemisphere to play through the summer and to, to have your the like the midpoint of your season go through the biggest transfer window in football. Um, mm. For me, it just doesn't it doesn't make sense um, from, from that perspective. And obviously promotion and relegation is a concept that's long been discussed. And, and for obvious reasons, Americans probably wouldn't understand it. And, and there's a lot of financial implications that would suggest that it wouldn't be vi- a viable option in, in the U S but for me, it just loses so much um, value in teams that are lower in the league. So for example, if your team, is a, a club that's you know among the bottom three, four teams in the league. There's no reason to keep watching for, from an American perspective now because there's no risk. Whereas in England, obviously, relegation scrap, well, and in all of Europe and around the world elsewhere, relegation scraps are some of the most interesting games to watch because they're some of the most passionate and uh, most emotion-driven matches, obviously, because there's so much on the line. And I feel that that is an element that is significantly lacking. Uh, from American play, and and that's one of the major complaints that I've had, or well, a few there's of no, the major complaints that I've had. There's no jeopardy, is there? There's no risk exactly. of, like you say, the relegation. Yeah. Um, and that, yeah, that that is definitely something. And just to touch on what you said there about the um, attitude of sort of how American, um, uh, sort of how Americans in general may come across with certain sports. I have. I have the same thing with English people. You know, I, I hate this idea that it's one of the reasons why I've, I've followed the, well, I say never is a bit of an exaggeration when I was young, but certainly don't follow the English national team because it's just this arrogance of English that, you know, we gave the world the game and our league is the best in the world and all this rubbish. And and I, I hate the fact that English is so arrogant about that. And I think, ironically, a lot of English people have often leveled that at American people. Oh, you know, think that they're the best at everything and America's bigger than everywhere else and blah blah, blah. but um, sometimes facts are it is <laughs> so I think um yeah I do think that I suffer from the same thing with with English people for sure it's just I, I just I just think every every uh, league around the world should have its own should have its own kind of ways and its own quirks yeah and there's nothing wrong with that um you know the the French league is obviously that I follow is always labelled as the Farmers League. Well, I've seen far worse games in the Premier League this year than I have in League Up. So I, th- I think it's often labelled by people who don't really watch it enough. And I think that's definitely typical of MLS. Um, typically, the people that criticise it for being, you know, bad quality and that, all they see are YouTube highlights of a, um, you know, like a Sean Johnson letting the ball go through his legs for the fourth mm, time yeah. in, in three games, you know, and, and that does happen but newsflash that also happens to David De Gea in the Premier League um, but of course you know don't let that ruin a good agenda yeah I think there's this like paradox that I know I am caught in a lot of a lot of fans are caught in this um, like paradox of I, I want to like the MLS so bad 
but mm -hmm. because of what Gage has mentioned, and also there is just the stereotype that it's it's worse quality, and I think to some extent that is true. However, it's definitely not as bad as people are. Saying. No. Uh, but I, I, it's like I want to, I want to like, but I just, but then, oh well, how do you get it to change? Well, you you have to watch it because they have to generate revenue to be able to change things structurally it's like oh well i don't really want to watch it but i'll give it a go i'll watch it and it's like oh well if you're watching it and generating revenue then they know something's working so they're not going to change anything so it's it's like this big paradox that i'm that i that we have to deal with i guess but something yeah. that is very appealing to me is is how young the mls is i guess um and i think it does have so much potential and i, I think we're seeing finally it going that way um a great example of that is uh almiron yeah uh we actually followed atlanta we, or we tried to follow atlanta when they were first created i guess um and we we knew right away almiron was a special player and, and he's reaping what he says i guess he's moved to the premier league now and he's uh with a with a good side and um but yeah i, I do think it has a lot of potential it's just hard for me to get into it despite how much i want to yeah and i, I think also as well the the players that go through mls the ones that are not well known in 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 particular in the um uh well premier league i guess but if you if you look at players like alfonso davies for example he's now being regarded as one of the best upcoming left fullbacks in, in european football when he joined um, by Munich as a teenager from um, the Whitecaps, I believe, as a, as a left winger. Yeah. So um, you, you look at you know, stretching further back to, to players like Brian McBride, was you had a really successful time in, in the UK. Clint Dempsey is another one. Um, I think sometimes the, the market with MLS is, is starting to produce players from other nations in South America. The European teams are actually going, do you know what, let's have a look at this. Um, Western McKennie is another one that's doing good things at Schalke. And I do think the Bundesliga is definitely one of those leagues that is prepared to dip into MLS. Um, Tim Chandler is another one at, at Frankfurt. Mm, I think Tyler you... Adams. Absolutely, yeah. Um, and it's long New York Red Bulls, didn't he? Yeah, he, he did. He did. Uh, yeah. I can't remember, but I can't I'm going to quickly Google that. Wait, who is this? Aaron Long. Uh yeah, and and Chelsea took the other lad, didn't they? Centre back. Um, oh. I don't think it's worked out. He's gone to Reading. Miazga. Um, yeah. Oh no, Aaron Long is still at New York Red Bulls. Oh, he's still there. Okay, yeah. yeah. I think it was Man City that were sniffing around him, but but yeah. Um, and and didn't Man City sign the Columbus keeper? Yes. Yeah. I don't think he'll get a look in really for for now. But no, no. I think he's on starting... somewhere in the back arse of Poland. Um, yeah, oh, I thought it was yeah. at Dusseldorf. Or was that oh, last maybe season? it is. I'm not sure. He definitely did go to the Bundesliga for a period of time, yeah. But I think that that shows that, that teams are starting to to take a punt on on young players. Uh, and, and I think if you look at the amount of Mexicans, Argentinians, um, Bolivians, Colombians, there's a lot of South American players that that are younger that are coming into MLS now. I'm really surprised that um, that Martinez has not has not been snapped up by a, a team in in Europe. Um, yeah last summer but in particular this window because to me he's got the build of a player who'll score goals wherever he goes he might not be prolific as he is in mls but he'll get goals and he'll cause a threat i'm surprised no he's taken... certainly could have used a player like him <laughs> yeah man you know man united looking at agala you know would it would it have done any would they've done any worse to give him a go but 
yeah, I, I do. I, I think that is it's slowly but surely starting. You're starting to see younger players come through and, and make the grade. Um, you know, not necessarily at the very top level, um, but at the top level in terms of the league. Um, and, and I think what, what MLS kind of almost needs is a, is a prodigy, um, is a player who, who comes out of nowhere and is snapped up and then becomes an absolute world phenomenon. Uh, um, and I know obviously all the jokes come in about what was his name? Freddie Adu, of course, was like the first th- first one. Obviously, it didn't work out for him, but he almost needs that type of player to come through, um, get a move quite young, and and become a superstar. And then you that's what we're be... hoping Pulisic is. Well, he never yeah, played yeah, in the MLS, though, yeah. did he? That's the no, that's, that's, true. that's yeah. the downside. Um, but yeah, there are there are good players, and, and like you say, with with the US national team, you, know, you look you look down the the list of, of the players they've got. There are some really good players in that in that side. Um, but it, it requires a club to put faith in them and play them um, and, and give them game time to to show their potential and, and, and progress them as players, not just have a breakthrough season and then fade into nowhere. I think one of, one of the biggest things is, is obviously the, the U.S. academy infrastructure is nowhere near as good as it is in, in Europe. Obviously, no. for, for obvious reasons, it's, it's far younger and there's been far less time to set it up and set it up correctly, more importantly, than there has been Um Obviously, this kind of thing has been happening in Europe for many, many years, but that's one of the reasons why we see so many Americans in the Bundesliga is because players like Christian Pulisic and Tyler Adams move there. Well, I guess Pulisic is the better example because he moved to Dortmund's academy um, and then came Mm. through as an academy graduate there. And, um, well, actually, one of the reasons why so many Americans are in Germany is because there's a lot of military, like Weston, Weston McKinney is a military kid, I think. Um, and yeah. his father lived on a base in, well, or he was in the military and worked on a base. And so that's one of the reasons why there's so many Americans getting involved in, in the Bundesliga. But I think that the academy standpoint is one of the things that is, is absolutely killing, well, not killing, but it's stifling, I guess, the growth of, of like, like you say, a prodigy of American soccer that we need. And part of that is due to the fact that there are so many other sports that are more mainstream here. Yeah. So yeah. a lot of our best athletes play basketball, football, baseball, what you like. Um, so that's probably part of it. And that, that aspect of it will never change. Um, but the only thing we can hope for, I think, is that our academy structure will just continue to improve with time and that those there will be players. Because there is talent here. Um, there, there certainly are talented players here in the, in the States. And our only hope is that those academy play or those academies will continue to develop and, and get better and produce some more consistent players and, and those of higher quality as well. Yeah. Most of, if you look at the, the national team now with this big like overhaul, um, most of the players now aren't playing in the MLS. They're playing abroad. Mm. Uh, I think I counted from the Gold Cup final, it was like seven or eight players in the starting eleven uh, were playing uh, in different leagues uh, aside from the MLS. However, um, some of our best players were from the MLS, which is very exciting. Uh, Reggie Cannon, he is from the MLS. He's from FC Dallas, I think, actually. Yeah. Mm. Um, he he's one of the ones that stands out to me, and I'm I'm very excited about him. And there, are a lot of some of the players um, when they broke into the side were in the MLS originally. Uh, and then they got the move after they broke in. Like uh, 
Zach Stefan and uh, Tyler Adams. Um, yeah, Tyler Adams, Weston McKinney as well. Uh, yeah, and so we're and, and the defenders as well. I think the defending is good, which is it's, I don't know why it's ironic, but it's it's strange because our defenders are pretty much all MLS players. Uh, and I think the new the new line is is very impressive to me, and I'm, I'm very excited about it. Um, Zimmerman and and Reggie Cannon and uh, Aaron Long, everyone aside from Serginho Dest, but he's newer. Um, I, I've been impressed, and I, I do think that this is a sign that the MLS is getting better at developing these players and, and not like stopping them in their tracks. There's the yeah. new kid that just broke on at Dortmund as well. What's his name? Um, uh, Reina. Oh, Reina. Gio yeah. Reina. Mm, yeah. I'm not sure yeah, where he's, he's come the from, son of actually. Claudio. He, I think he was in the academy because um, son of Claudio Reina. Uh, Claudio Reina, and I, thought, mm. I, I believe he's been in their academy. I think I think he was born. He was either born in Europe or, or obviously oh, born he, in the states and moved to Europe. He was born but, in Sunderland, uh, actually. <laughs> oh, there you go. Yeah, there you go. So, um, uh, yeah, I, I think that that's another another good one but you, you kind of almost want a player to break out through MLS rather than as you say like the European because there'll, there'll always be that person then who says oh yeah but they came through European, you know uh, training camps and whatnot you want yeah. you really want to play literally from MLS and then moves to a big club and does and does good things I think like you said touched on there with with other American sports I, I can't ever foresee a day where football will uh, as big as or challenging the NFL, the NBA, um, you know, the MLB. I, I, I can't, I just can't see that that ever being a thing. I almost put MLS on on a, a level with with WWE almost, which I know sounds mental, <laughs> but and I know WWE is obviously sports entertainment rather than an actual sport. But in terms of viewership and interest, and that that's kind of where I put it. I think it's you know it, it's it's something that people in Europe are aware of. And some people do watch, but it's a bit of an afterthought when other games are on, um, other other opportunities of watching sport are on, and that's that's where MLS has has got to take strides. Um, and, and this, you know, this season may well be a season where things do change, and 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 it gets more viewing figures. And 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 like, like I said earlier, that World Cup coming back to Mexico and Canada in four years. Um, that'll be really interesting to see and gauge just how how interest um, and how much the interest has grown um, in, in terms of the, the, the sort of viewing figures in, in the US and how it's broadcasted. It'll be really interesting to see uh, as to whether the sport grows even more. Uh, it's certainly grown since 1994, that's for sure. But it'll be really yeah. interesting to see how they how they host it and, and, and also how fans of other nations um, embrace it because I think a lot of fans will go to those countries for that World Cup I think it'll be a really um, really well organized World Cup and I think it will be very well attended World Cup so that'll be interesting to see how that goes down definitely yeah I was actually gonna say I think what we what what the US needs especially right now is some kind of decent showing at the next World Cup because that's when the mm. most American eyes are are on US soccer um, there, obviously there's the MLS fans, but it's such a small group compared yeah. to the other sports followings in America. Yeah. But pretty much if, if the USA is in the World Cup, everyone is watching because they just care. They, they like winning. The Americans like winning. Everyone likes winning. Yeah. So I, we need some kind of showing 
in the next World Cup to show like, yes, we we are making strides in our programs, um, and we definitely are hoping for good showings from the MLS players specifically. Yeah, 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 I agree with that. Yeah, and the 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 twenty twenty six World Cup, like you mentioned, will be uh, particularly marketable, I suppose, because it's going to be the first forty eight or not forty. Is it forty eight teams? Uh, forty eight teams so. World Cup. I think it is, isn't it? Yeah, the big yeah. one. Yeah. Um, and obviously, it's it's a triple host nation, so we won't have to qualify, which might be mm. a benefit to us. <laughs> um, <laughs> but well, I, one of the other things that I think has me in good stead for the qualification for the Qatar World Cup is is the fact that some of the other CONCACAF teams are now starting to decrease in quality. So Mexico, I think, are experiencing a decline in their form. Costa Rica, I think their era has passed. Um, and those are really the two big contenders um, for the U.S. Hopefully we just don't have another Trinidad result or yeah. the likes of that in in the, the lead-up to the next World Cup. So um, that actually was what got me to love the game was watching the World Cup in 2014 because like Reese said before that I I mean soccer I played it when I was you know five to seven and other than that I had no engagement with it and then after the World Cup I watched it and fell in love and found Spurs and ever since then I can't get enough basically and and I've I mean here I am hosting a podcast about it so like it the World Cup is such a huge opportunity and I think that is one thing that we certainly need to capitalize on um, would you mind giving us actually just a bit of a preview for this MLS season and, and who to look out for and um, sort of what's what's going on in the in the build up to that season? Myself? Yeah, yeah. Sorry if I cut yeah. out there a little bit. No, that's all right. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I've I've kept a fair amount of it. Uh, I'll be honest that there, there's a lot that have made. Um, transfers that I, you know, I'm still well behind on, but excited to see what, what the new franchises bring because I think that's always uh, it's always something to watch because you just you never know. Like Atlanta was a, the prime example, um, you know, when they came out. You've got two conferences now, the East and Western Conference, comprising of 13 teams, so that will be interesting. Um, reminds me of, like the Scottish League, where you've got the, the sort of uneven number. Mm. Um, so into Miami are, are going to be in the conference and nashville are the the new side in in the western conference so it'll be interesting to see how they go um obviously from a bias point of view i'm i'm keen to see how chicago start this year sort of a rebrand playing their games back at soldier field is is huge um they got one of my league on favorites in robert berich spearheading their attack um since they let go of um nikolic who's who's moved on so i um yeah I'm, i'm sort of quite quite excited to see what happens there the big guns, um, DC United, sort of post Rooney. Be interested to see what what they come back with. The two New York sides, I think New York City FC are under um, a new management this year as well. With a, it's another Man City linked coaching setup, I think with with them. So we'll see how that goes. Toronto again have made was it two three finals now that they've made in the last five years. Quite a few. Yeah, they're yeah. Yeah. very yeah, prominent. It's always it's almost like a Seattle Toronto final seemingly every year now. Um, and speaking of them, obviously the Sounders are always always good to watch. They've got that fantastic stadium as well, which is always a always a good um, a good spectacle, shall we say? 
But um, yeah, and then in that Western Conference, Portland Timbers have, have had sort of recent success, but dropped off a bit last year. Everyone will always look at LA Galaxy and um, and Los Angeles or LAFC. See if Carlos Vela can can do bits again this season. Um, he was obviously outstanding last season, and I and I think the thing that intrigues me the most about these upcoming seasons is is how many of the the lesser sides make a break um, and and start to come good or, or start to improve because that, that's what I'm always intrigued to see. You know the franchises that have the money are going to get good players, um, and, and you know that there will be certain players that will come into these sides that will make them better, and you'll go, okay, they've got the money, so it's obvious that they've signed X, Y, and Z. But looking at transfer business so far uh, in the off season. A lot of clubs have done a lot of business. There's a lot of ins and outs. There's very few clubs looking down this list now that haven't done some business. Um, and, and with MLS, there's a lot of inter, inter-league transfers as well, isn't there? There's, there's a lot of team or players that go to teams that it's not like the rivalry over here where it, you know, Arsenal Spurs type of transfer just would never happen. I think in, in, in the US, it's a lot more, um, I wouldn't say regular, but it, it's, it seems to happen a lot more. Um, and players move move between sides quite a lot. So, yeah, I mean, I'm intrigued to see. Um, uh, honestly, to put my head on the block and say who could win what conference and who I would say were going to be the most, I genuinely couldn't tell you. And, and I, I think that's one of the good things about, about MLS. It's fairly unpredictable um, in, in terms of you have to get a good, sort of five six games into a season to really see who's settled and and who's actually got a, a squad that's capable of taking taking a challenge um i for one as i say hopefully it's going to be chicago um and uh, and i'm quite intrigued by speaking of usa 94 i see they brought back the uh the, the stripes on the shoulder Adidas yes this year. They have. Um, yeah. brought, so nice brought back the classics so that'll be good to see so um but i'm intrigued from your guys are particularly looking at all the teams that you've looked at and thought actually their business has been good this summer that you're intrigued to watch next season? So admittedly, I actually don't keep up much um, at all, actually, which is probably something I need to change. Um, I think, like I said, we I kind of am a purist for European football, um, but obviously I'll always support um, FC Dallas because they're, you know, my local team. Um and so, yeah, for the likes of that, I think obviously Atlanta are always going to be looking to be in and around it um, with the likes of Martinez. And, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm not very well versed in MLS, which is one of the reasons why I was intrigued to have you on. Um, and perhaps that's something that we could start dedicating more of our time to. Um, it's very yeah. ironic that we have such opposite views with, like you, you were talking about, the English, um, like, uh, way the state of mind when it comes to soccer, and we we were talking about the American state of mind and how we both kind of dislike it, and that's why you watch MLS, and that's why we mm. have started watching Premier League. So it's I'm very, uh, it's been very interesting to hear this like opposite point of view because normally when you meet a MLS fan in America, they're just like, it's usually just because it's their local team. They're just watching for the sake of watching, but they don't actually know that much, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's yeah, I, I've you're the first person I've met who's like follows the league this intently. And it, it mm. almost makes me want to try and get into it again. I might give it a go and 
try and uh, try and check out FC Dallas a little bit again. But mm-hmm. uh, I think I have a very similar answer to Gage in that if I'm if I end up watching it, it'll either be Atlanta or Dallas because Dallas is obviously uh, my local team, and then Atlanta. Uh, we we tried to watch Atlanta a little bit a while back, so I I know a little bit about them. Uh, I didn't know there was a Nashville team, and that's mm. particularly interesting. I'm actually in college in Tennessee, very close to Nashville. Yeah. So I I might have to give that one give that one a little look. Yeah, I I, I think yeah that that kit's nice as well. But yeah, I'm intrigued because they they're almost the club that's come in under the radar because all the hype Miami FC. So um, that's and I think at, at the time Atlanta were were not billed as a team that were going to come in and take the league by storm, and then they did exactly that. So um, that that's that's probably going to be interesting to see how things work out. They've made a lot of postseason signings as well. Uh, Nashville, this is. I mean, obviously they needed to be for a new franchise, but uh, looking down the list here, one, two, three, four, five, six, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 17 new players coming in. Oh, wow. Um, and one of them being Dax McCarty um, from oh, Chicago, yeah. which is intriguing. So... Yeah, they they've I think they've they've brought in some good players, some experienced players, which is always key. Um, and and I'm yeah I'm quite intrigued to see another into Miami is obviously the other club that has, has gone heavy in terms of bringing in players. A lot come into to Miami, um, and and most of them I would sort of I would class them as sort of moderate players. Uh, Lewis Morgan from Celtic is probably one that's quite interesting, but yeah, I, I think it will be I think it will be a season that will be. A lot more exciting to to watch in terms of uh, teams that are, that are either re- in rebuild or are looking to to stake a claim. Um, and of course, that you know the really exciting bit comes when you get to the playoffs, of course. But I, I quite like watching the early games because you really get a feel for for where clubs are and and what progression they've made over the summer months. So yeah, I, I will be watching definitely, um, and I'll be watching with interest. Sort of what um, what I can offer. For in terms of any future show conversation again in in uh, you know two or three months time um, season kicks off on the 29th of February so yeah it'll be it'll be interesting to see where these teams are in in four or five games in and, and see if our prediction of of uh, teams that are looking to rebuild have actually rebuilt or whether it's a bit of the same old name top of the table again yeah all right Reese have you got any other items for us here I do not. I think that is about us at a wrap then. So, Chris, thank you so much for coming on and joining us. It's been a pleasure having you. Yeah, any anytime. It's um, it's really quite humbling that when you obviously when you message me, Gage, uh, let the listeners in peek behind the curtain here. But um, we we used to uh, we used to give give Gage some stick on our <laughs> hips as pod because he was the Spurs fan. But um, no, it's really it's really very humbling when when you can inspire others to. To, to record a, a podcast and that and people think it's easy and it, it's not it's it's a really you know, it's time um it's effort and, and it's difficult sometimes to talk um you know in a live broadcasting setting so well done to you guys and um I'll, I'll keep listening to your pods and uh yeah if we can make it work time wise i'm happy to come back on again in the future so yeah keep doing what you're doing all right thank you mate and reese thanks for coming on again as always of course and i would uh, miss this one this one is a Way too interesting. <laughs> too close to your heart, yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. So thank you for listening, everyone, and uh, we'll catch you next time. It's goodbye from us.